Professor, thank you for joining me, Professor Martin. And yeah, my first question is, is a rather, it's a rather personal one, I guess. What inspired you to enter the archaeological field? Uh, it was a pretty roundabout process. So I um, was interested in Greece as a child, but I couldn't really put a finer point on it. It was just always a place that I found interesting. And then when I was uh, in elementary and middle school, I started to visit the collections at the J. Paul Getty Museum because I'm from Southern California. So it was a place that we could go on field trips. So my interest in Greece came through artifacts primarily, which is, I think, an interesting experience to have given your interest in site-based preservation. Um, but in any case, yeah, it was really going to the Getty, I think, that got me initially intrigued. And then when I went to college, I took an introductory art history class, sort of stemming from that interest. And then from there, um, eventually studied abroad in Greece. So I was in Athens at the college year in Athens for a semester. And that was kind of it. I decided when I was there, I wanted to get a PhD um, in the field. And I actually met my future advisor there in a very accidental kind of way. He came through the, the school and gave a talk on his most recent book. And I was very interested in it. So I applied to work with him at, at Berkeley. So that's Andy Stewart as my advisor. Then fast forward to PhD time. Uh, he was running an excavation in Israel, which is where I primarily do my archaeology. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I think several of the people you've talked to who are interested in Greek archaeology or trained as Greek archaeologists or art historians, but we also excavate in other countries. What was particularly interesting to me working at a Phoenician site is that there was a lot of Greek material culture there mm -hmm. and that there was a real opportunity for someone who was interested in Greek material culture, but also the idea of connectivity to do work in other places. So I have excavated in the modern nation of Greece just the once. Uh, <laughs> when I um, excavated the Athenian Agora, which was such yeah. an interesting experience uh, compared to working at a tell site in the Near East, it was, it was incredible. I mean, just the quantity and quality of the material that you would find was, um, amazing to me so that was very exciting but but really from there it just sort of went organically in, in that direction so um I'm kind of still in that split um approach to material culture so my specialization now is the relationship between Greek and Phoenician mm. material culture that is sometimes relevant for the Cyclades to be sure um although it's maybe not the the points of contact that we most often highlight between Greeks and Phoenicians, it's definitely an important one. Um, and so I think the idea of, you know, studying one radically decentralized maritime people, i.e. the Greeks, and then finding yet another radically decentralized maritime people, the Phoenicians, was really, really interesting. But it was quite, yeah, organic, accidental. Those would both describe it well. Yeah, so, I mean, you answered a little bit of my next question about Greece, and obviously cultural preservation is a lot, uh, well, although it is called a cycladic preservation group, I, I really, it's more important to me for general cultural preservation, even though it started for the, the cyclad. So I guess what my next question would be about like your current 
excavation. I know you said you enjoyed maybe the Greek one a little more. Like, <laughs> Not more. No, no, I don't pick among my children. It was just so different. <laughs> so different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the, the tell door project, if, if I'm saying that right, right. Right. Mm -hmm. you just talk a little bit about that. It's always nice to hear what people are doing in the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we're not currently excavating, but the Teldor project uh, is an ongoing one that has, um, sorry, my dog is trying to climb into my lap. Yes. No <laughs> uh, that has, um, we're kind of in a transition right now with directors, but I'm one of the acting co-directors uh, along with Elon Sharon, who is an emeritus professor at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem and uh, Ayala Gilboa, who's a professor at um, the University of Haifa. So um, it's a project that started in 1980. So, um, you know, before you were born, I'm going to assume. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also before I entered the field <laughs> in a very serious way. <laughs> um, the so there there's a lot to the site in terms of what we sometimes call legacy data which can be interesting with respect to preservation as well in any case it's been excavated pretty intensively for something like 35 seasons albeit not continuously it is a site that we generally call phoenician but has different uh, groups that are living there in different sort of dominant cultural identities from around the middle bronze age until the third century ce so there's a lot of things, of course, that happen over that period um, of time that uh, can be interesting depending on your particular interests. Since I specialize in the first millennium BCE, but especially the second half of it, it's really nice to have partners who are more interested in the Iron Age and Bronze Ages mm -hmm. because collectively we care a lot about the site and the bigger picture of the site, how we tell a story through archaeology and so forth. Um, but individually, we have things that we, of course, are more focused on with our research specialization. So for me, that really is from 500 BCE until the third century CE, what we call our late periods, although they're not very late. <laughs> I'm sure you would agree. Yeah. Um, and what is kind of exciting about that is that the very same periods when we think um, a kind of Greek identity becomes starts to take shape in the first millennium BCE. A Phoenician one is maybe also beginning to take shape, although scholars disagree about how to characterize both of those things. Uh, and some of that seems to have to do with them interacting with each other. Mm -hmm. And so, although we don't necessarily know that Greeks were living um, at door, it's not impossible. I think it would have been somewhat unremarkable, but they're definitely having a lot of contact through material culture and that we can really, um, we can trace just by doing something like following Athenian pottery and its distribution. Mm -hmm. So it really allows you to kind of go back and ask basic questions like, what does it mean when we call something Greek mm -hmm. that was made in the fifth century BCE? And how does a, how does a pot get here? What did people here think they were buying? How much did they pay? Those kinds of questions are pretty basic, but I think also really important and ultimately very interesting. Yeah, they create a story, right? Yeah, exactly. And they're hard to answer. Yeah. <laughs> and, sure. Yeah. So so that's uh so that's a sort of overview of door. And and in general, what we're doing right now is primarily publication. Uh, this part's perhaps not that interesting, but we have a model of publication that's area by area. Mm -hmm. So uh, a certain number of units are taken together and are are published in that way. Mm -hmm. And 
I guess my last question before I move on to the preservation side of things. Um, what, how, what is your work at uh, Boston University and also the Archaeological Institute of America, right? Yeah, so at BU, my primary position or appointment is in the history of art department. That's what my PhD is in. Um, and I teach mostly Greek art, although, you know, because we are all stretching in a few directions, my course rotation right now is only two dedicated Greek art courses a year. Um, in the fall, I teach the first half of the big art history survey that we call pyramids to cathedrals. So I'm like on the pyramid side of things and my colleagues in medieval art are on the cathedral side, as you can imagine. It does mean that some of the things that I love most about working in Greece, like Greek Byzantine uh, architecture, as an example, I don't get to teach, but <laughs> yeah. um, I teach that course. And then I also teach um, a literature-based course that BU calls The Core. And we read um, a couple of books of the Hebrew Bible and we end with Plato's Republic, which is what I was, sorry, I've got my blur on. Oh, yeah. I was just uh, reading before we started. <laughs> oh. We're doing books four and five tomorrow. Um, and that course is really ideal given my interest because it is entirely Near Eastern and Greek in terms of its content. So we read the Odyssey and oh, the Ajax, really Hecuba. Cool. Yeah, it's it's really great. Yeah, that's cool. Um, the AIA, I, I'm just a member of the AIA, but my um, position this year, it's not really a position. I have one of the national lectureships. So that's a, um, a nominated lectureship where you have a few topics and you go from um, local society to local society and, and give one or two or maybe three papers from a, a group that you present to them. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It's fun. Yeah, you get yeah. to meet a lot of people that way. And also a lot of students, um, because there are a lot of students who attend the local society events. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And moving on to the preservation side of things. Yeah. Like, uh, I, obviously, you've talked a little bit about your field work, but like throughout your field work, what, what has been the process behind preserving this culture and the artifacts that you find, both the challenges and both just the process in general? You could talk a little bit about that. I could talk a lot about it. So I'll try to be a little bit strategic. So I think from the perspective of, of someone who is working on a specific site, um, a lot of the challenges that are presented are kind of general. And then some of them, of course, will be particular to a given site. So to address the general uh, challenges, um, the when you're in the process of excavating a site and answering your research questions and so forth, you do have to include some aspect, some dimension that's about either what we might call outreach in general or some sort of public engagement. Um, and that can mean a lot of different things. Me as an outsider to all of these sites, I have to, I think, be especially sensitive to what stakeholders who are local feel about the site, what they think about the site, what they want from it and so forth. Uh, so that's a kind of like general site oriented issue. While you're working, you also have to, um, of course, work within the, the laws of the antiquities authority in the country that you're in. That's of course critically important, but also you do have to think about that push pull between what you want to learn and what you want the site to look like when you leave it. Mm -hmm. which is not nothing. Mm -hmm. In a multi-period site like Door, you can have something like 
600 years of walls that appear within 20 or 30 centimeters of each other. Uh, and that can not only slow down your progress and complicate what you're seeing stratigraphically, but also forces you to um, make some tough decisions about what periods you want to make sure people can still see when you're done as you walk away. And that can really radically change your research agenda. Um, so that, of course, is important um, as well. I would say that the last sort of general to particular issue that I would touch on with DOOR is that when you excavate a site intensively for a long period of time, I mean, 35 years is a long period of time. If you speak to someone from the Athenian Agora, of course, their scale of time is still greater, uh, quite a lot greater, right? Um, you do have this difficult issue of how much to continue excavating versus um, when to stop so that you can catch up with publication. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is, um, you know, there's not an exact formula for that, right? It's a judgment call also working within the standards of your subdiscipline and the rules of, of your antiquities authority. So that's sort of where we are right now, which is slowing down on the excavation considerably. We went to an every other year model. Mm -hmm. um, and now we're about every fourth year, <laughs> maybe, mm -hmm. uh, in order to really push the publication forward. So that's a little bit about site and a little bit about publication. I would say the other real issue of stewardship that, that comes up a lot is what to do with the artifacts themselves. Mm -hmm. Of course, you do have antiquities antiquities laws that you, um, you know, need to follow to the letter within your own site. But there's an issue of sort of public presentation as well and how you get that material out so that again various stakeholders can see what we do is have an open day on the site for people in the community um, and try to advertise that in multiple languages so that people who wish to visit the site can come while we're there um, that happens a lot anyway because door is on a beach mm -hmm. and so there are people like hiking and, and who are around in that area that that will come to visit um, and then we also have an open day in the site museum so that there are some talks in usually in the native language of the speaker. <laughs> so that may or may not match with with the uh, visitors so that they have a chance to see some of the objects, mm -hmm. just as a couple of examples. Um, I will say last, last but certainly not least, um, because it's Israel, um, there are, of course, questions about who the stakeholders should be, who the, who the stewards of the land should be. Our site, the tell itself, uh, has, you know, uh, a history of occupation beyond that stratigraphic sequence. It's ancient. So there certainly was um, some medieval occupation, some Ottoman and so forth up through the mandate period. It is also nearby a village that was an Arab village that um, was taken over with violence, certainly in the formation of the new state of Israel. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of tension, of course, in that area that we have to be respectful of, even though it's not where we're working. So we have some responsibility um, to, to those people. And I will say there was a documentary about that village that came out, I think two years ago called Tantora. Um, that is hard to watch, but is also um, giving you some impression of how people have to continue to reconcile with things like the formation of the state in which you're a guest, you know, the authority that's giving you the permit to excavate and so forth. So you can't balance all of those things equally, but, you know, you need to keep them all in mind. Yeah, I have to say, I, I never really considered that last one. And I guess 
that's that that might be a little more prevalent in Israel, but I could see how that, that could be. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly an issue in places like Cyprus, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. as well. that's what I was thinking, yeah. I think also, too, that it, it depends a little bit on, uh, so if we're looking at the Aegean, where in the Aegean we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if, if someone works on an island that is a short ferry trip away from the Turkish coast, like Rhodes, yeah. um, you know, it, I think these issues become more fronts of mind for, for people who are working there. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and you just you 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 want to, <laughs> you know, think about what you're doing for people right now as well as for the past, and and that is not a straightforward process. Yeah, for sure. And I guess my last question, I don't want to keep you too long, but my last question, which I ask all my guests, would be, what can like so this this organization stemmed from just thinking of my my home in Paros, which which you might know in the cyclads it's been getting a lot of tourism the last years and i i've been seeing like just not not that like i'm not saying like paros has like the parthenon or something huge like that but it has like really (laughs) has a few landmarks that i considered key like right they're really impressive to me at least and i see them every year deteriorating through not i'm not saying it's just tourism fault obviously the government isn't probably doing as, as good as they should be and also the climate and the weather isn't ideal but what can what would you say that the average person, not just in this Greek island, but just in general, can do to help preserve the culture of their local community? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I'm not sure I have a great answer for you. I think your concerns are important, particularly, I mean, of course they are, sorry. <laughs> of course they're important, but also um that balance between wanting to share heritage and invite tourists into uh, a location versus needing to preserve it for posterity is, it's a tough one, certainly. Um, But I think that the average person in general, particularly, and this is not just because I'm a lecturer right now, but can, can support archeological organizations like the AIA or SAA or get involved in their local societies to learn more. That's usually helpful. I think it's also important, as we already touched on, to think about the humanitarian issues that um, can surround the way a site is presented or preserved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to question a little bit the orthodoxy of what's presented to you. And then, of course, treat the sites and the people who run them with with respect. That's, of course, something that doesn't always happen when you see that combination of tourism and archaeology is not always good for the sites themselves. If you have, you know, like an ice cream stand <laughs> by it, trash blowing around and so forth, that can be yeah. a little bit tough. Um, but so it doesn't have to be financial, but of course that can help. The other thing I would say is that people, if they have an opportunity to participate in an archaeological excavation, they should do it. So many sites are staffed primarily by volunteers. Uh, and that doesn't mean, you know, I mean, it would be wonderful if everyone could go to the Mediterranean to do this yeah, work. Yeah. Um, but if they can't, you know, very often in your own city, um, or even if you're not in an urban environment, but in a rural one, there will be some kind of archaeology that's going on that you might be able to help with. And it is, I think, really nice to think about the process what it is that they're trying to do on a small scale and how you can, you know, be a thoughtful steward of the land that you're connected to yeah thank you have you you excavated nicholas i have not i was not yet (laughs) i was almost going to this summer 
but my schedule didn't work out. It just didn't work out with the time I was in Greece. I had to come back to the United States. I'm hoping to this summer, not maybe not, well, I hopefully excavate, but if not, just be around a project. I was, I was pretty close to joining, not joining, just like viewing the excavation in, in Kimolos for this mm-hmm. small cycladic island project. But just the dates didn't work out, unfortunately. So yeah, that's, I'm hoping to do something like that next year, just to, just to see how it is, you know, in person. Good for you. Yeah. I'm sure you'll really enjoy it since you obviously have a passion for these issues and it's really fun to just move the dirt around. It's kind of an incredible thing that the past is such a dynamic place, not only um, because of how we interpret it and study it, but also just through that sheer act of discovery that archaeology is so fundamentally a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. Of course, I'm happy to have this chat from my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you.